Hi, this is Bettina. I am back with another episode of So Mind Boggling Journeys. And this week I am joined with writer, director, producer extraordinaire, Haria Mohammed of the Black TV and Film Collective. And she has also written a new web series called Keloid, which you can find on YouTube. Hello, Haria. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? Hey, hey. I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, thanks for joining us. Um, this has been a long time in the making. You know, we've been wanting to sit down with you for a while, so I'm glad we could actually make it happen this time. And what perfect timing, as we have just seen the finale of Keloid. Wow. Uh, how do you like it? I like it. And it's very, um, it's very. what's the word, uh, when it has you, like, anticipating more, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm um but first, for our viewers, do you want to give just like a brief overview of keloid, and then we'll talk about it without giving away too many of the juicy details. Yeah, sure, sure. So keloid is a web series um, that we created for the Black TV and Film Collective, and essentially, like uh, the collective is a 1,200 member 501c3 organization here in New York City, and we do professional development, relationship building, and then last year we ventured into also uh, production support. And so with that, we decided we wanted to create a channel for where members could put their work um, and display just what we're really about, which is creating content, creating dope stuff. And so we started talking about what kind of content we wanted on our channel. So, of course, we wanted some drama. We wanted some comedy. And we had to represent some sci-fi, some supernatural, you know, because a lot of us are kind of supernatural and sci-fi blurred. So I hadn't seen any scripts that had come through the BTFC that were ready uh, to be produced. And so I just sat down one night and I and I wrote, you know, Keloid. And, and when I started showing it to other members, they were like, oh, my God, hurry, we have to do this. We have to, you know, produce this show. And so it really just kind of took off right from there. And I couldn't be happier with the finished result. It's a sci-fi slash supernatural series that focuses on a mom and uh, and her son. And this kid is like going through these, you know, kind of, it's kind of a coming of age story where he's starting to really understand his abilities and understand a responsibility that comes along with his abilities. And in the process, he learns, you know, a lot of stuff about himself, about his mother, about life in general. And um, it's a great series. You you should check it out. Yes, and the and very interesting thing about this series is in the first season, it seems that he hasn't really stepped into his powers. Like uh, right now, his powers seem like they're a little bit of a hindrance, actually. Mhm, mhm. I mean, that's how it is true in life. You know, a lot of times we have abilities that we don't fully claim, you know, or that seem like, oh, I don't really want to deal with this right now. I just prefer to turn my attention to some other area of my life. And unfortunately for him, you know, that's where he is right now, but he has no choice. You know, he has to, he has the special abilities of telepathy. Um, He has the ability of telekinesis. He has the ability of, uh, uh, teleportation, and now his fourth stage that he's going through is uh, control of electricity, and he's having a hard time um, getting control of that that ability right there. His mom has been the one in his life up to date who has been, you know, training him and really, 
having him to understand what these abilities are and how he uses them and how he keeps them under control and how he keeps himself safe and how he keeps everybody else around him safe. But he's not trying to hear that, you know. He's like any other teenage kid that wants nothing to do with his mother. He wants to go out. He wants to have a girlfriend. He wants to eat up all the cereal in the house and play video games, that kind of thing. And so he and his mother clash a lot because of that. Now, yeah, so the interesting thing about that is, so he totally is a typical teenager. And until he did one move where I was like, now, why would he do that? (laughs) And I don't know if it's giving it away, but there's a point where he feels guilty. And so he feels that he needs to, you know, um, maybe go to some authorities with this burden Mm -hmm. on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that just shows that he's a good kid. You know, he was, you know, he feels um, some responsibility for, you know, uh, his actions. And so, you know, because of that, he makes a, a really rash decision. And of course, you know, his mom is, has to be the one that is there to help him to pick up the pieces as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the, the relationship between him and his mother. Um, I, I First, both actors are so good. And um, Abba Woodruff, she's such, she plays this role so well as his mother, his very mm-hmm. loving, um, kind of overbearing, protective mother. Um, and I love the fact that it's like, um, it's kind of like there's a relationship. There's all this other stuff going on, but underlying one of the most important things is their connection, you know? Yeah. Um, and even when you find out something at the end, which is kind of, uh, shocking and a little, um, it's definitely like a, a, a what's it called? Like a, when things change, it's, um, mm-hmm. it kind of changes gears and you're like, oh, you weren't expecting that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in season two. Yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, when I was writing the series, I didn't know where the characters were taking it. I I had a general idea of, you know, what their challenge was, but, you know, they shocked me too. So there is a big, um, there is a big cliffhanger at the end of season one and I didn't, I didn't see it coming myself. So it's no surprise that as you're watching this, this season, you know, a lot of times you may not see it. A lot of people didn't see it coming either. And so um, that's just one of the, the, the beautiful things about being able to tell a story, you know, and, and having characters that kind of jump off the page and, and, and come to life, you know, and, and you're, and it's right that um, Abba Woodruff, she played an amazing Marielle, David Nixon, he played an amazing um, Lee, our Lee Keloy, and, you know, they were just right for these parts and right for the story. So uh, we were so, so, so happy to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, question, when you first started uh, writing this, did you start with the relationship between the mother and the son or the fact that you knew that you wanted him to have a superpower and you didn't know what the superpower was going to be? Or did you already know what you wanted his superpower to be right from the beginning? And then you wrote around that. No, you know what I started with? I started with my memory of my mother and my little brother. And I remember when my little brother was 16, you know, he's a grown man now, but I remember when he was 16, we couldn't tell him anything. We Mm -hmm. couldn't tell him the sky was blue. He would argue with them and he would say, no, it's actually, you know, um, orange, but our eyes, you know, it filters through our brain and it, you know, and we see it as blue. Like you couldn't tell him, put your seatbelt on and save your life. No, because seatbelt statistics actually show like he was so, you know, like, you know how, like boys are just like that at that age. You can't tell them anything, you know, and I mean, sometimes it's just kids in general, but 
my I remember my brothers when they wanted to when they got to a certain age and they wanted to go out and explore the neighborhood and you know have um you know and just basically begin to just go out and spread their wings and my mother was so protective of them she was so we I have seven brothers and sisters and my mom is a Leo and she just was oh, guarding wow. her her you know like she was guarding her cubs like oh yeah nobody messed with her cubs you know and my brothers they were not trying to hear that you know and so I that's what I started with I started with this nugget like of this this mother that's really really trying to protect her son and what if they had special abilities what would their life look like and from there you know a lot of uh, to you know, quite frankly, a lot of what you see in Marielle, who's placed a mom, a lot of that is my own mother, you know, and just me putting my mom in that character. And when I was writing it, I don't, I had one actress in mind, and that really was Abba because I had worked with her before in a directing um, lab, and so she and I had done scenes before together, and I had directed her before in the lab, and I. And I knew she was just already perfect for the role. And so when I was writing it, I was writing it with her voice in my head. That is like every actor's dream for a writer <laughs> to write something specifically for their talent. <laughs> yes, and yes, absolutely. With the uh, season one, there's seven episodes, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of information that is given in each um, episode. It's like a really great foundation and you left it where there is so much that's still like unsaid and unspoken. We still don't like there's one, there's one main event that happens in season one or sorry, in um, Mm -hmm. season one, episode one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in those seven episodes, we just barely scratch the surface of what happened from that mm-hmm. moment on, on, on the mm-hmm. other end, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, like you're going into season two with everybody chomping at the bit to know like, well, wait, wait, what, mm-hmm. what happened now? <laughs> when, this main, when this major event happened, we, you know, that was like, you know, seven episodes ago, like, wh- where are we now? Where, what's going on with yeah. that family and that neighborhood, you know? And that's all exactly. I don't want to give away too much, right? right um, but right. yeah, I was like, that was great writing in terms of like, you really, you, you gave us enough where we we're invested. But mm-hmm. we, there's so much left. There's so much left and so many unanswered questions that we are dying to get the answers to. And it seems like you have yeah. great feedback from uh, the fans. The fans are all like, oh, my God, this is so great. And this is um, great storytelling. It's great to see um, people, brown people of color in these roles. Um, and especially in sci-fi, because I don't think you see that a lot. I'm not a blurred or a nerd, as you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of content out there in this genre. No, I I haven't seen a lot, and I certainly haven't seen a lot of web series um, that play in this space at all, you know, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the show has been so embraced um, by the community is because it's something different. You know, a lot of times when when we see films, you know, like Space Cowboys, you, you know, or, you know, somebody that has to save the world or, you know, they're never, it's never brown faces. You know, it's always this typical white male or the white female that is the savior of the human race or that is out there 
battling aliens. It's the person who has to, you know, save the whole, you know, astronauts in space from these aliens. It's always a white character. And so, you know, we are, you know, we're, we, we are craving for, for different types of roles and to see ourselves in, in different areas because there are a lot, a lot of black and brown fans of sci-fi and of supernatural, but you don't always see brown faces as the leads in these roles. And so I think that's why the series has been embraced so much and why people have loved it and really, really been supporting us so much. And we're so thankful for the support, obviously. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and congratulations on the season finale. Um, we're going to promote it to our listeners um, so that we can definitely get people who haven't seen it. It's a great series to binge watch, too. You just watch it all the way through. Um, and so you were talking about you're going into season two. Have you already started writing it? Yep, yep. Season two is, is um, the writing has already started. Um, and right now what we're doing is we're raising money for season two through our crowdfunding campaign. So what we wanted to do is to launch the crowdfunding campaign before the season actually ended so that we can still, you know, people can still be excited about it and it's not something we have to reintroduce to fans or reintroduce to supporters. Like, hey, remember that series that you loved six months ago? Yeah, that's us. We're back. And now we're raising money for season two. You know, we decided, hey, while we still are releasing episodes, let's start the crowdfunding and and try to get in those early supporters that really, really love the show to to contribute to the crowdfunding campaign. So we're raising $10,000 via um, an Indiegogo campaign. We're about halfway there. We have about two weeks, I would say, left in the campaign. And so um, we're keeping our fingers crossed and kind of our foot on the gas, and we believe that we're going to hit our mark. And then we're going to go out and get – uh, support in other ways as well, in addition to the crowdfunding campaign. So we're excited about season two, and we know that we left season one in a place where there's a lot of questions. Like you said, there's still a lot of things that need to be answered. And really where we go in season two, it's, this, it's wide open, you know, the field. So I'm giving myself the space to really allow the characters just to kind of speak to me, um, and and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, I know you're looking at seven episodes again for season two. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I, I, think now, seven is a, I think seven is a nice number. It's like a lucky number. I was the seventh child, you know, so I like I like seven, lucky number I seven. I like seven, too. Seven is definitely the number. Um, <laughs> so with that, that's a lot of work um, and a big undertaking to now be writing season two and to be working on the crowdfunding. So is that pretty much like the main project um, that the BTFD uh, is working on right now or are there other? Um, no, really no, there's tons, no, there's tons of stuff that we're doing. Um, this is just one of them because, like I said, um, when we decided we wanted to start a channel, we wanted content specifically for the BTFD channel. And we had 1,200 members, you know, like – Everybody's working on something, um, but official BTFC Productions, we have another show that's coming out that we're hoping is going to hit um, in time for the mid-season elections. So we're working on the scripts for that. It's about a woman who's running for Congress. Um, and it's funny. It's a funny show. Um, and now, you know, I think that it's even more relevant with considering our current political climate than it was even a couple years ago. So we have that show. Then we have a, a lot of, um, we have our storytellers POV that you can find on our YouTube uh, channel where we 
sit with just members of the uh, BTFC and understand what they love about storytelling and some of the stories that have impacted their lives. Then we have our speaker series where it's actually a live event, but we record the speaker series. And um, a lot of times, you know, people can't make it to the speaker series. Like, for example, last month we had Nima Barnett, who's like a legend in television and film. Yes, she um, is. Yeah, she is, right? And she's such a wonderful human being and a wonderful spirit. Um, and she sat and really gave us the drop dime, just just tons of knowledge, you know. And so we're editing that, and that'll be up in our in our speaker series playlist. And then we have some – we have a studio, so we're shooting a lot of stuff in our studio. And then we're going to be doing um, some stuff outside of the studio. So we got a lot of stuff in the works. We're, I'm really excited about it. It's been fun building our YouTube channel. Um, and just seeing just how how quickly we're growing with subscribers. So if you're listening, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Right now we have about 800 subscribers. And when we started, just like maybe two or three months ago, we had about 100 subscribers. So <laughs> it's like our, our channel is growing so fast, which is pretty cool. And if you're a writer at home and you have this script, right, that you just like chomping at the bit to produce, but you don't have maybe the money or the people, the crew, the cast, what would you recommend that they do? Well, that's why they should join the BTFC. Like the Black TV and Film Collective, that's what we're all about. We're all about three things. That's, you know, um, developing ourselves as professionals and artists, uh, building relationships and making each other's work, you know, and, and supporting each other in the making of our work. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that you need three things to be successful in this in this industry. You have to be really, really good at what you do. You have to have relationships, and you have to have work to show. You know, two of the three is not going to cut it. One of the three, if you're really good at what you do and you um, have work to show, but you don't have any relationships, that's not going to get you very far, you know. And then if you have relationships and you're really good at what you do, what's the next logical question? Okay, let me see what you got. Let me see your stuff. If you don't got any work to show, that ain't going to help you either, you know, and, and vice versa. So you have to have all three of those things, and that's why we focus in those three key areas. And we have writers, directors, cinematographers, editors, costume designers, producers, you know, you name it, composers, um, publicists, all all kind of folks within the, the Black TV and Film Collective. And so – it's all about just really joining the collective, beginning to build relationships with members of the collective, and, you know, from there, things happen. We have a writer's room where you can come in and you can table read your work and get feedback on your scripts. We have a pitch session where you can come in and pitch your idea or your project and get collaborators for your project. We have um, a mingle that's actually coming up this this week, um, this Thursday, it's a uh, filmmaker mingo where you can come and just meet individuals. So, I mean, it's really a, a really great community to be a part of, and that's really what it's about. It's about community. You've seen this industry and just the direction that it's going in in terms of just collaboration and in terms of community. Do you, have you seen a change um, in terms of when you started to where where the community is now in those regards? In terms of, uh, in terms, uh, do I see a change in what? I'm sorry. In, in what like in terms of community and collaboration and in willingness to like share resources, share information, help each other to make work, that type of thing. 
the interesting thing is I definitely see that more so with uh, people behind the camera. I mm-hmm. feel like uh, people in front of the camera sometimes, you know, and I a part of me understands this too. So much of this business is trial and error, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no manual and no, there's no rule book and there's no, um, there's no clear trajectory to get from one level to the next level to the next level. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like it, it, you just kind of have to go piece by piece by piece. And sometimes mm-hmm. it takes so long to figure out, you know, something. Like I feel like I, I quit my job in 2005, or not quit my job, I left my job um, in 2005, my full-time job, and I've been mm-hmm. uh, pursuing acting and, you know, supplementing my income with freelance projects and acting work since then. And that was, uh, what, 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. And it's mm-hmm. stuff that I will just now realize. And I'm like, wow, it took me over 10 years to get this or to understand this. And there's still mm. so much that I don't know. Um, mm. So when I meet a lot of people, I feel like because they have, especially in front of the camera, you can, you probably can speak more about behind the camera. But a lot of times, a lot of people don't want to give up too much information because it's taken them so many years and it's taken them trial and error to even attain the knowledge that they, some of the knowledge that they do have. Um, Mm -hmm. And so much of this uh, journey is, I think, about figuring out a lot of stuff for yourself, too, because it is one of those things where it's like if people people were handing you things, you really wouldn't appreciate it because Mm. it would just, it would would be too easy. It came to you too easy. So I kind of understand now. When I first started, I didn't understand how, you know, if you knew, if an if a, if a artist knew this person in this position, I didn't understand, oh, my God, why doesn't that person in that position just give you this or tell you this or, or, or um, you know, bring you into the fold here just kind of like automatically. And mm-hmm. now, after all these years, I'm like, oh, I can kind of see that. I still feel like we should all be very much helpful and uh, because I feel like, you know, it's not like one's going to rise without everybody else. Like, I feel like we can you all know, rise together, you know. It's but I do kind of it's interesting because I quit my full-time job. I used to work at advertising and, you know, I really hated it. I, I, well, let me take that back. I didn't hate it, but it just wasn't for me. You know, I was managing one of our agency's largest accounts and I was really good at it because I'm good with people. I'm good with, you know, just really listening to people and kind of helping them to uh, feel comfortable, you know. And so in that role, I was working as a liaison between the advertising agency and the client. And so I would work with the client to set the budget and to set the strategies, you know, um, and, and the campaigns that we would be doing that year. And then I would, you know, go back to the agency and say, hey, you know, working with the different departments, like the billing department, the production department, the um, media department, the you know, all these different different departments and helping us to actually execute against that strategy. But I just wasn't, I just wasn't loving it, you know, and mm-hmm. I would, I was really good at it, but I would go to the gym for like two hours out of my work day. I would come back to my office and like, you know, take a nap in my office, and I would execute for, like, maybe a few hours out of that day. And I was like, I'm too young for this, you know. I should be passionate about what it is that I'm doing. And I was more passionate about the stories that we were telling instead of the actual um, the the work that I was doing, the management of it. And so one day, and I always wanted to be a, a the great American novelist, you know, and so, but I would get, like, maybe I would write a, a, write a, a, a story 
and I would get about 100 pages in, and I would lose interest in that story. And I would say, eh, you know, new characters would come to me. And then one day I was watching Girlfriends, and bless the heart of Mara Brock Akil, and this is why I'm such a Tracy Ellis Ross fan to this day, because they actually launched my career or just gave me, the, gave me like, that little nugget of inspiration that I needed to say, hey, I could do this. And I was watching Girlfriends just dying laughing and just loving the show, and I said, somebody's writing this. I can write this. And then I started writing scripts. And, you know, I wrote one script, and then I wrote another script, and then I showed it to, you know, a couple people, and they were like, Korea, this is really good. And I was like, that's it. You know, and a script is only 120 pages, so it was right in line with my stamina as an artist. And I just packed up my truck, you know. um, Well, I quit my job in 2005, just like you, I packed up my truck and um, I had a going away party and it was my plant and my teddy bear in the front seat of my truck with all of my stuff like packed to the rims. Like my, my truck was like packed. Like it wasn't, you couldn't even see out the back window. It was packed so much. And I drove myself west, you know, for five days and I got to LA. I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't know where I was going to live in LA. When I was headed there, I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't know anything. I had cashed out my 401k. I had a little bit of savings and I was like, you know, I'm going to make it in making movies. And I didn't know anything about making movies and nobody, it wasn't, I didn't have a roadmap. It's like you say, nobody gives you a roadmap. Nobody says, hey, follow these steps. Take, you know, go to the corner and make a left and then take three steps to your right and then something's going to fall out the sky, a little little nugget of information and then keep going with that. Like, it's not like that. You have to figure it out as you go along. And I think that, you know, to really be in this industry, you have to be determined and you have Mm -hmm. to be focused. You got to know. And you have to be resilient because there really is, a lot, you're going to hear a lot more no's, especially in the beginning, than mm-hmm. um, affirmations, wouldn't you say? Well, I think if in terms of in front of the camera, yes, you will. Behind the camera, no, because people always need help. And so I think behind the camera, you just have to be willing to help. If, and you got to be smart, you know. And if you're willing to help and you're smart and you are dependable, Oh, my God, you're like a godsend, you know, because especially in, in independent filmmaking, you know, so I was, I'm was i going to tell you a story that I heard, you know, somebody say yesterday, and uh, we were doing an interview at the BTFC. Also, we do like the speaker, uh, storytellers POV, and somebody said an independent film is when, you know, Scarlett Johansson makes a movie for, you know, a couple of million dollars, a passion project, da 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 da, da. An indie project is when you, like, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on set and you got your, you know, your auntie is making the curtains and da 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 and you like, you know, got all of your stuff and you're shooting in your own house. I mean, so that's an indie project. So for indie projects, you know, you always need help when you're making when you when you making an indie project because of the fact that, hey, you don't have a lot of the resources. And that's really where the BTFC started, you know, because of the fact that I would meet a lot of people who had really great ideas and really great scripts, but they didn't have any money, you know, to make this stuff. They didn't have any money to make this stuff, you know, and so they would 
I would say, well, you got a really great script and you want to direct, and here's somebody who's a cinematographer, and this person is a really has been a really dope photographer, and now they want to get into cinematography, and this person is interested in this, and why don't you guys work together and create this story? And I just saw it doing that more and more and more. That's really how the BTFC, you know, really grew and really got started, and and really it's just about helping each other. And I think that New York is the one place where the BTFC could have grown as fast as it's grown. And it's because of the fact that New Yorkers, we got hustle about ourselves. And also because I think that we have a, a more of a collaborative spirit. And, and I'm just been so excited because I think that people now more and more are getting that, that, you know what, in order to help myself, I have to help other people. And in helping other people, I'm actually helping myself. And it's the type of thing where we can all rise together, if you're willing, to just, you know, be that helping hand to the person next to you. You know, I tell people all the time when they come to the to the Black Teacher Film Collective, because a lot of people come with it, with ideas already. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to make this thing and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, this is, not my, this is not like a microwave crew. You know, you can't just come in and pitch your idea and expect, like, sometimes, like, hey, maybe it will happen for you. Eight people going to jump up and be like, yeah, I want to I wanna take, you know, you know, three weeks out of my life and, you know, take all my weekends and give you, you know, like the, the equipment that I have and you can come into my place and shoot. Like, it's, it's not going to happen like that. You have to develop relationships. You have to see that you're interested in, in, in what other people are doing and, show, and let them be interested in what you're doing. And it, and it has to be organic. It's not the type of thing where you come in and it's like, hey, guys, make my production. That's just not the way we work. We We work first on relationships. Come in and develop relationships. Let us listen to your script. Let us hear your script. Take some feedback. Let us tell you what we think about it or your idea. And, you know, and so I really love the collective because of that, because of the fact that it's community oriented. And it's really genuine with people who just want to help each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting because I think what happens is the reason why, uh, you, you know, you can speak to this too, obviously, but the reason why sometimes people feel like in a rush to get things done is because it just feels like, oh, my gosh, there's like, it, you know, you'll be in the business for a long time and feel like, oh, my gosh, like it's not, like I can, you know, you'll do things here and there, but not one or two projects is going to propel you to the next level, you know. And so I feel like it then mm-hmm. makes people kind of like nervous and like, feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to rush around. What do I need to do? And, and, you know, and sometimes you kind of forget about the aspect of community or because it's like, oh, you know, this is just another thing I have to do when I really just want to focus on the work, you know, and they don't want to get distracted or get lost or whatever. Um, so what would you say about yeah. that when uh, with people who feel like they don't have a lot of time? Well, I mean, you got the same amount of time. You, you, you know, time, that's, that's the thing. The thing about it is, hey, if you're doing something that you love, just keep doing it. You know, like time, it's not like if you do, you know, if you get this project done in six months versus you get this project done in one year, that opportunity is going to come your way faster. That opportunity is going to come your way when it's time for that opportunity to come your way. You know, so I think that if, if it's your time for that for that thing to, you know, that, that lock to click, you know, and this to be your time to, hey, my career is going to, it's, 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 it's hit, you know, a moment where it's accelerated. It's not because you got this project done in three months versus you got this project done in a year. It's because it was time, you know? So I mm-hmm. think that 
you know, this idea of, hey, I'm out of time, I'm running out of time. I mean, unless you got some kind of doctor's note that said, hey, you got 24 hours to live. (laughs) I don't understand that. You know, so I think you got to, you got to just, you, you have to focus on the work. And I know Mm -hmm. it's hard a lot of times because of the fact that we have, you know, we got to pay bills and it's like, listen, you know, I want my career to jump off right now. And you watch it, you know, other people's career jump off and you watch it, you know, Insecure and, you know, um, Atlanta and all these other shows. And you're like, oh, I want my show. I want this and I want that and da 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 But you got to focus on the work. Focus on just making yourself a better artist and focus on building your relationships and focus on um, creating a space in which is welcoming to those opportunities to where you can take advantage of them when they come. Sometimes stuff that you're not ready for stuff. Like for me, you know, I can tell you right now that the things that I know today, and I'm sure it's true for you, the things that you know today, you know, you know a whole lot more than you knew 10 years ago, you know? So some, so some opportunities that come my way, I would not have been ready for them 10 years ago. You know, I would not have been ready to lead the Black TV and Film Collective 10 years ago. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't in the right headspace. I didn't know enough, you know. But now where the, where I am, I'm ready for that opportunity. And so sometimes, you know, it may be that, hey, the opportunity that's coming your way, just relax. It's coming when it's time for it to come. But you got to prepare for it so that you can take advantage of it. Yes. And a big thing about that, uh, which is kind of what you touched on without actually saying it, is the idea of humility, Right. Um, hmm. just kind of like slowing down, being humble, taking your time. Because uh, one thing I realized, and this is something, uh, you know, on the same vein of what I was telling you about how some of the stuff someone can't tell you, you only know after going through the process. I remember you hmm. hired me to be a PA many, many moons ago. And, you know, here I am, uh, you know, coming, I graduated from um, a really uh, a really prestigious school, business degree. I had worked in corporate America and worked with a lot of like big brands or whatever. And my main job on set was coffee. <laughs> and I remember being like, oh my God, really? Like coffee? Like, you know, oh my God, what? just not using my, my talents and my, you know, my experience, you know. And at the time, especially because I'm not a coffee drinker, I did not mm-hmm. understand the importance of coffee on set, right? And mm-hmm. at that time, I was too young and too green to realize that you had actually given me one of the, the most important roles on set. It's true. Because coffee is everything. It is everything. And I only know that now, like over a decade later, I'm like, oh God, yeah, coffee. Actually, that was like a really big role, and I really could have like showed my medal mm-hmm. <laughs> on that coffee gig. You know, it's funny because when I was learning how to produce, you know, I got, um, I was producing, I was hired as a co-producer on something, and I was in charge of um, just one of the main things that I had to do was make sure that lunch and the craft services and all that stuff was on point. And I was so irritated by that. And I was telling my producing partner, uh, a woman who was much more produ- much more experienced as a producer than me, I was like, yeah, they got me over here, you know, doing craft, making sure craft services is good and, and ordering lunch and making sure the lunch get here on time. She's like, Korea, that is one of the most important jobs on set. And it's true. It's definitely true. There's no unimportant job on set. There isn't. And this is what I mean when I when I said that, hey, if you you can advance in this industry behind the, behind the scenes, if you are good, if you are dedicated, if you're responsible, if you're smart, 
because there's no unimportant jobs. Like everything is so freaking critical, especially when you are doing independent uh, indie work or independent work, because a lot of times everybody's doing three and four things. So if you have a role, you got to do that damn role. You got to do it and you got to do, be responsible about it. And you got to show up like, yeah, I got this. Don't worry about this. You got other things to worry about. You gave me this to do. This is not something that you have to worry about. And to me, when I'm producing, that is such a relief. If I could give somebody something and it's nothing that's too, that's small, I'm giving it to you to do because it's important. If it's not important, nobody's doing it. Trust me, because it's more important things to be done. So if somebody says, hey, I got this, don't worry about it, and I can turn around and I see that person has it, I'm going to be like, oh, shit, okay, you got the coffee? Okay, so can you do this too? Can you do this other thing? How about that? And then you show me you can do that, and I'm like, oh, can you also do that? So you can advance really quickly behind the scenes if you just show that you're smart and that you're responsible and, like, don't worry. You worry about what you what, this other stuff and let me do whatever you gave me to do I got it don't worry about it listen that is priceless yeah and I remember I want to know that you told me that's so important that when you're working behind the scenes it is so important just to be always like on your feet moving around helping people out because there is so much that needs to be done and it's so mm-hmm. funny because everyone thinks that like being on set is like glamorous but being on set I feel like is one of the most taxing exhausting experiences there is so much to be doing it's like you're mm-hmm. constantly running around um, there's just always something that needs to be done. And you're just on your feet a lot. You really are on your feet a lot, running from yeah. A point A to B to C, checking on this person and that person. There's so many different moving pieces that, yeah. you know, you need to be on top of. And you're right. And then assisting the producer, because the producer has a million and one things on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I don't remember telling you that, but I actually gave that advice recently to somebody else who I brought on as a assistant camera person. Um, I was working on a, a on a production, and of course it was an indie production, and they didn't have a lot of money, so they had a DP, but they didn't have a first AC. And there's um, someone within the collective who is an aspiring DP. She's a videographer right now, and she wants to to get into cinematography and begin to shoot films. And so I said, okay, why don't, there, here's an opportunity. This production, they don't have an AC. This is an opportunity for you to work with a DP, a working DP, you know, just assist her, you know, like just carry the bags, you know, just, you know, when she says hand her the lens, you know, you hand her the right lens and da 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 whatever. And so when I looked around, she was like, a lot of times she was sitting down and just kind of spaced out a little bit. And granted, you know, we were hot. It was hot because we were shooting outside. It was a lot of sun. I was like, listen, so at the end of the production, I asked her to grade herself. I said, you know, what grade would you give yourself for the job you did? And she was like, oh, I could have did better. And, you know, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what I saw. And then I told her, you know, what I saw. I saw that she was sitting down a lot. I saw that, you know, she was letting the sun space her out a little bit. Don't let that sun get you down. Don't let that sun not let you be great. That's what you told her. I said, when you're coming onto a set, especially if you're assisting somebody, like you're assisting a DP, you gotta const- you gotta have the DPs back. You gotta constantly be like, Can I get you some water? Can I get you some coffee? Let me carry those bags. Let me hold this umbrella to shade you. Let me do da 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 because you know, a lot of times in this business it's about references and it's about referrals. So if somebody calls that DP and says, Hey, I'm looking for a first A C, 
you want that DP to remember you and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this person, she's a little bit green, but she was really great about you. She'll, you know, try this person out. She'll have your back, you know. So you want that DP to, be, to, to remember you finally, and you want that producer to remember, oh, that girl, she was always, she was always on her feet. She was always running around. She was always helping. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, no, 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 no. You are building a reputation and you're building a brand. And this business, People call and text all the time, hey, I'm looking for a such and such, do you know anybody? I'm looking for a such and such, do you know anybody? And you want people to remember you and say, matter of fact, yeah, I know somebody who was really good and and um, she was da-da-da-da or he was da-da-da-da, call this person, he got you. And so many people I refer that way. I get every single day, I get text messages, calls, hey, anybody knowing such and such, I'm looking for somebody. And I'm constantly referring people. But you got to create an impression that somebody will remember you positively and want to refer you. Well, Haria, we want to thank you so much. These are some really great nuggets. Um, And, I mean, I guess leading out, we always talk about how, you know, nobody's journey is the same and that, you know, you just have to, like, stay the course. And, I mean, is there any final words that you want to say about that, like any final advice maybe to somebody who's at home thinking, I, you know, have these really great ideas and I really want to do this, but I'm scared because the journey seems like it would be so long. There are no guarantees. You know, I'm used to being able to get paid, you know, every other week. I'm used to – and now I have a mortgage. You know, I have, you know, a family. Like, what would you say to people like that? Because I feel like so many people – have uh, dreams and they just, it's almost like they feel like they just, they're stuck once they make certain major commitments in their life where we know there's all, there's mothers in um, the collective, there's mothers in the the New York artist community. Um, There are people who have all different types of uh, uh, relationships and responsibilities, caregivers, caretakers, you know, caretakers for a family member. So what would you say to those people that feel like that maybe they might've missed their time? I think that you just have to find a community. Find a filmmaking community. You know, even if it's not the Black TV and Film Collective, join a meetup group. You know, we started as a meetup group. You know, join a join a group or, you know, you just need it. You need a community. Isolation is one of the death traps of creativity, of inspiration, of um, artistry. This is the type of medium that we work in that you it takes a collaborative effort. You know, nobody can be in front of the camera, behind the camera, holding the boom, you know, holding the camera at the same time. Nobody can do all of that stuff at, at the same time. So you need a group of people, you know, to, to even make this art. And even to get to that point, you need a community that's supporting you and that's encouraging you. So I would say you have to just find a community. And that's one of the first steps, and it's one of the biggest steps, and it's one of the most important steps. If you're just trying to do this on your own at home, there's a, your brain is going to talk you out of it. There's a million reasons why you should just roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> but find a community and that community should become, you know, your lifeline and your support in, in helping you and encouraging you along the way. And um, actually, I thought of one other thing I just want to ask you about. So uh, in terms of quality, right? So you finally get this community and you finally create something and you have something on your hand, right? But because you're just starting out, maybe it's not, um, cause I feel like, you know, we, a lot of artists will compare their early works to like work that's on HBO and on, you know, Showtime and you know, on Netflix, right? And mm-hmm. they'll feel like, oh, well, this quality doesn't measure up. So you know what? I'm not going to put it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've gone back and forth with some of my artist friends about, okay, should you just keep working and wait till you find the quality? 
Or um, I remember my writing teacher once said that, you know, it's really about the quantity and that the quality will come out in quantity. And in the process, should you still put the work out there? I know um, one of the Black TV and Film Collective's members, Darren Jobity, he talks about how it's so important just put it out, you know, because there's all these mm-hmm. people that have worked on it and that you can't get better if you don't kind of like put it out into the world, finish a project and put it out into the world. What is your take on that in terms of like, is it better to just wait and then put out something that uh, that is of quality or just put it out as you go along and then just know that the quality will get better. I think that's a personal decision, you know, but I do think that it's a mistake to compare your work to anything on television. I mean, no way, no how, you know, should should you ever do that when those budgets are, you know, compared to what you're looking looking you're looking at and you're working with, they're nowhere near the same thing. So it's just not going to look the same, you know. Um, and it's just the new, the small details, the small like little nuances of things. So so don't compare your work to something that's on HBO. And frankly, also, you know, we live in a day and age with social media where you know it hinders and artists from, you know, feeling like they can continue to make work. Because trust me, you know, Quentin Tarantino or, you know, a lot of these directors that you really, really love, some of your favorite directors, their work didn't start out that way. The first thing that they made didn't start out that way, but they also didn't have a Facebook um, account with, you know, a thousand friends that was judging them along the way. (laughs) So it's it's a little bit different, you know, for artists today because of the fact that our work is so public right from the beginning, you know. But the fact of the matter is the people who, if you continue to make your work, your work will continue to find an audience. And as your work gets better and better and better, your work will continue to attract the right audience that you need for your work. So don't worry about, hey, you know, I'm shooting myself in the foot, you know, because of the fact that this work, it doesn't look like, you know, X, Y, and Z. The people that you need to see it, they ain't going to see it yet anyway because of the fact that nine times out of ten, if you're just starting out, you're still building yourself as an artist. You're still developing your relationships. You're still developing your circles. So it's not like somebody that can hire you at HBO, XBO executive is, is judging you at that point, you know. So I say it's a personal decision, but I do think that you should, if you make work, you know, be proud of it because of the fact that there's so many people that are on the sidelines wishing that they can make work. And you're doing something that a lot of people, so many other people wish that they can do and wish they had the courage to do it. And at least you went forward and you did it. You took a step that so many other people would not do. And so and in terms of like, you know, the other people who work on a project, you can always give copies to them, you know, for their reels, et cetera. But in terms of rather you're going to promote it and put it out there, that's a personal decision. But I say be proud of yourself. You know, like it goes back to that quote where, and I'm going to butcher it, of course, where, you know, the, the critic is the one who's on the sidelines while the folks who are actually doing it, they're the ones who are in the arena, in the arena taking the blows, you know, facing their fears, standing up to da 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 and it's always going to be people on the sideline who like, mm, that camera was shaky. Mm, that's that's out of focus. Mm, 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 you know? So, I mean, don't worry about that. Keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Thank you, Haria. You are so welcome. I'm so happy that uh, to finally be on so mind-boggling journeys. Yes, and we are very happy to have you. And so we will look out for uh, season two of Keloid, and we will contribute our pennies, our dollars, to, to thank the, you. The movement. <laughs> thank you. And for more information on um, the, the crowdfunding, you can go to keloid.tv. 
That's spelled K-E-L-O-I-D dot TV. And for more information on the Black TV and Film Collective, you can go to blacktvfilmcollective.org.